Good morning. Morning, West Falls. Good morning, Grace Live. Welcome to a true tender uh, romance. Our theme verse is on the back of your bulletin or it's on the screen before you. This is the key verses and all of this great song. It's the, the Bible says this is the greatest of all songs, says it's the song of songs. We said this last week. It's God's perspective on romance. It's why we're talking about it. There's a lot of perspectives on love and romance, but now we're getting God's perspective. What does God think about love and what does God think about romance? And so we're, we're, del- we're delving into this and God has a lot to say. And so that's why we have this book. And of all things, we said this last week, there's so many great songs in the Bible. Song 23, Psalm 23 is probably the most popular, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the Bible says this is the greatest of all the songs. And here's what it says. I'm going to paraphrase it. It says, love is as strong as death. That's pretty sure. Death and taxes are pretty sure. So it's saying that love is actually certain. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. So nothing can deter this kind of love that we see here. And that's what we want. That's what we long for. And so we're going to be doing some, some swiping for you. For you tender folks, we're going to do some swiping. We're going to talk some swiping today. Actually, I got this whole idea about calling it a true tender romance because I've done a couple of tender weddings, you know, people met on Tinder. So that's where I actually came up with this, with this whole idea. God has invented romance. This is Hebrew poetry. I said this last week, a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism, a lot of sensual language. So that's why we have the caution signs. If you came in today and for some reason you see those big yellow caution signs when you walked in. I want to draw your attention to them now. Uh, we are talking about mating today, and there's a lot of sensual stuff in this song. And I also want to, throughout this, hopefully clear up some misconceptions. A lot of people think that, you know, um, marriage is the place that sex goes to die, and that's actually not, that's actually not true, according to many, many studies. Uh, what we find is the people who are having the most uh, satisfying physical sexual life in America are married couples, by far. By far. So those people who are the most sexually satisfied in America are married couples. There was three guys, and uh, they're all husbands, and they were going out on a whole, an entire weekend to go fishing. And uh, they got out there. It was, uh, you know, in the morning. They're on the boat, and they're fishing. And the one guy, you know, all get the lines in the water. Then one husband says to the other two guys, as you wouldn't believe what I had to do to get an entire weekend off to go fishing. I had to promise my wife I'd redo all the flower beds. It's going to take me days and days and days to accomplish this. Second guy says, that's nothing, absolutely nothing. I had to promise my wife I'd remodel the entire kitchen. It's going to take me weeks to do that. The third guy didn't say a thing. The silence got awkward. Finally, the two guys said, well, what's up? What did you have to do for your wife to come here? He says, I set my alarm for 5.30 in the morning, went off, turned it off quietly, slightly tapped her on the shoulder, and said, you know, good morning, honey, fishing or sex? She said, wear sunscreen. <laughs> so a lot of times we get, we get that idea about it, but we're going to try to clear up some of those myths because sometimes it's portrayed that way, but that's actually not true statistically speaking because the most satisfied people in America are married people, right? Sex, uh, marriage is not the place where sex goes to die. All right. Uh, last week I gave the married couples. We talked about dating. We're talking about more about dating this week. So I'm going to slide our way into marriage. But I did last week give the married couples an assignment because all of this smoke and hot romance starts with a kiss. I hope that you did your assignment. I hope you kissed 
your spouse at least twice a day, every day last week. Did anybody do that? Did anybody do that on Grace Live or over at Westfall? Anybody do that? Does anybody need to catch up on that right now? You can still catch up, catch, get those in. Uh, and, and also, we are having a marriage event there. There is uh, tables in the lobby over at West Falls Church. And here's table in the lobby. You want to be a part of our marriage event. It is on May the 18th. Here's what shocked me, and this is why we're going in the direction that we're going. Here's what shocked me. is I said this last week. I read a lot of best-selling books best-selling books, both Christian and secular. And what there was, was an amazing amount of agreement on how the best way, so to speak, the best way to go about dating. And it wasn't to look for the right person. It wasn't to look for somebody. It was to become somebody. Actually, that's your first fill in the blank. And that's the most important part of this message today. It's not about Looking for the right person. It's becoming the right person. You're not looking for somebody. You want to become somebody. And what they all talked about, here's the thing, amazing, Christian and secular, they basically describe somebody who's developing their character, they're in process, and their character is developing Christ-like qualities. And then they named all these things that really describe who Christ is, which is why we gather here every week to study who Jesus Christ is, because we will do better in life personally and professionally. We'll do better according to the experts in dating and in marriage if we gather every week, right, and we study who is Jesus, what is his character like, how can I grow in that? So you want you want to be in process. The first thing we have to think about, right, we talk about a lot of swiping, a lot of swiping going on. The first thing you need to swipe is you need to swipe right on yourself, not somebody else. You have to swipe right on yourself and make sure that you, you are growing in those characteristics and those qualities because then other people are going to be drawn to you. I could not believe person after person, book after book that I read, particularly from the secular community, that describes swiping right on yourself and your own character. And then other people who you would like to really be in a relationship would, would be drawn to you. Okay. Um, Text message. I want to say this real quick at the beginning. It's on the screen or it's on your bulletin because I'm going to talk about two clips that I sent out by text this past week. And you're going to maybe some of you say, hey, well, what is he talking about? They're really good clips, too. I actually love the clips that I sent out. I'm going to talk about them. But if you want to be a part of that, you want to get those texts, I want to be sending more of them out. There's how you become a part of it. It's very simple. Text the word try grace. It's been the word us no longer. Try Grace matches our website, no spaces, all lowercase, all one word, Try Grace to that number you see. You'll get a link back, click on the link. Step three, you fill in your name and email, boom, you're done. Hit save and you're done. There's nothing else to do. Another screen will come up, but you're not interested in that. It's okay. You're completely done. You follow those three steps. Here is point number one today about what you should become. And I'm going to finish up where I started last week. You need to become a servant have to become a servant. These two people in this story are servant lovers. That's what they say about them. They're serving each other. They're serving each other. And it takes, it, that takes a lot of energy and a lot of study and a lot of like selflessness and a desire to grow and to learn, to serve somebody and to serve them really, really well. And this is what they do. I started talking about the story of Isaac and Rebecca and what is amazing, everybody. The book of Genesis, first book in the entire Bible, talks about the creation of the world, the creation of the world. And yet, the longest chapter we have in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is a love story, Genesis 24, between Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac's dad, Abraham, says to his right-hand man, I need you to go back to my home country, go to my people, and I need you to find a wife for my son. And he goes back, and he does three things. His right-hand man does three things. He prays. 
He prays, and we should pray. But he did more than just pray. Some of us think we're being spiritual, as I said last week, because, oh, I'm just praying. I'm just praying. Well, there's other things to do besides praying. We can partner with God, right? So he prays, but he goes, secondly, to the right place at the right time. At evening time, he goes to the well. That's where all the single women would be hanging out. Are you going? Are you going to where single people are hanging out? Third thing, he looks for the right qualities. Are you going to the place where singles hang out with the right type of qualities that you're looking for? It's really important. In addition to us and to us becoming the right person, we do. And I'm going to go back and forth with this a little bit. We do have to think about what is it we're looking for. And sometimes, and this is what the experts say, you got to have high standards. This is what the Christian best-selling experts say. You got to have high standards. Really important. But you spend a couple, you know, Valentine's days with your family and friends. All of a sudden, your standards start lowering. I had somebody ask me last week. He said, well, are you going to talk about unequally yoked? And some of you are like, what is un- what does that sound? What's unequally yoked? That means, are you going to marry a Christian? Are you going to talk about the only person you can marry is a Christian? Actually, I thought about putting this down, and I didn't. And I was going to say on a fill-in-the-blank, you don't want to marry or date a Christian. You don't. What you want to marry or date is a follower of Jesus. Jesus never said that we should become Christians. He said we should become followers. There's a big difference. It's the difference between what I say with my mouth and what I really believe in my heart, right? So what we're really looking for, but we spend a number of Valentine's days, right, with family and friends, all of a sudden we might lower our standards. I mean, if we're looking for a Christian, maybe by, as long as they have a tattoo of Jesus on their arm, that would, that, you know what I'm saying? That would, that would do. But, but it's really important that we develop ourselves and we'll begin to attract the type of person we're looking for. Now, I said I would do this last week. I want to give you the top three places in the United States of America, statistically speaking, the top three ways or places for you to meet somebody to date. NIH did a big study on this. You ready for it? Here it goes. Number one, there's no fill in the blank. You can write it down if you want. Number one, if you're married, don't write this down. All right. <clears throat> Number one, church. Church or a sim- I'm serious. Church or a similar type of weekly, regular gathering where you're getting together with people who have similar interests and values of you. Okay? So that could be a book club. That could be a cooking class. But faith groups are one of the main ones that are represented there. One of the first ones, actually. Church is one of the best places to actually meet somebody. And if you're talking about somebody developing Christ-like character, if that's what makes for a good date and that's what makes for a good marriage, what better place to go than church? where you're trying to develop. So church is number one. Number two, blind date. Yes, blind date. And I know it's when you're fixed up with somebody. I know I hear this all the time. People say to me, I don't need anybody fixing me. I don't want anybody fixing me up. I feel like a lot of times saying, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It's the number, it's it's the number two place to meet. You know why? Because if you have somebody that knows you and loves you and they see you and they know this other person over here and they know them, they've seen their values. They've seen who they are as a person then they, from a non-emotional way, are going to be able to look at this rationally and say, you know what, these two people should get together. Arranged marriages, and that's all you find in the Bible, arranged marriages, the satisfaction rate on arranged marriages is slightly better than our way in the West of doing it. How about that? Third place to meet is online. Online. I know a lot of people complain, like I said before, I've done a lot of tender marriages I've done a lot of tender marriages. I do a lot of online de- uh, people that meet online. I've done a lot of their weddings, a lot of their marriages. Third, third best way. There is good ways to do this. 
And there's bad ways to do it. And there's a lot of information out there about it. But I just want to say, because I'm filled with all this knowledge and it seems like such a waste that I go through this four-week series and don't spill some of it out because I've jammed my brain with all this stuff. Like, I'm ready to do online dating right now. So (laughs) 80%, 80% 80 of your success is your picture. 80% is your picture. Now, I'm not talking about after you get to the date. I'm just saying getting to that first date, 80%, 80%. New York Times just did an article about this, but this is what all the research shows. 80% is the picture. So, man, please take a good picture. Now, who's pickier on the picture, men or women? Who's pickier? Who's pickier? Chat it up on on Grace Live or at West Falls Church. Remember, uh, we just want you to feel interactive during this uh, series, so just shout it. What do you think's pickier, men or women? Men, men, men. So it's definitely women. Women... (laughs) Women are far, far, far pickier, and that's why they tell men, hey, don't put a lot of pictures up on your profile because it just gives her more stuff to be picky about. I don't like that shirt, right? I don't like the look on his face. So just get a couple great pictures, guys, and be done with it. And here's the problem is most guys are terrible. They have no idea. And in the New York Times article, they showed this picture of this guy. Gosh, he looked like he was in prison and he looked really scattered. What is he doing? So most men, don't. They, they, the clothes are too big on them, don't have the right haircut, you know, just all kinds of problems with the picture. Here, just a couple things you want to think about. You want to get a professional. You want to get somebody to help you. You want to talk to somebody who has an idea about clothing and about colors who maybe can be of assistance to you. Now, is anybody uh, old enough to remember the um, movie E.T.? E.T. It's a great movie. It's really a great movie. I, guys, here's what I want you to think. I'm just going to talk to the guys for a second on this uh, picture, all right? Think about E.T. Get your neck up and out. I'm serious. No, this, no I'm, I'm, I'm serious. This is what I say. Get the neck up and out. Think about that and make you a little bit younger, right? And then just a, just, just a slight squint with the eyes. Just a slight squint with the eyes. Slight. Just a little bit because it gives you a look of confidence. Are you, are you writing this down? Up, out, slight look of... Never, ever, ever look dead in the camera. Don't do it. Don't look in the camera. Look a little bit away from the camera. Get the head up and neck out. Slight squint of the eyes. Do not look dead into the camera. You got that? Guys, one last uh, thought. Never, ever, ever comment on her looks. Ever comment on her looks. All right, we good? That's all I got for you right now. All right. Becoming a servant, what does it take? Becoming a servant takes lots of energy, lots of graciousness, a lot of positivity. I actually read an article this past week. It is important to be positive. You know that actually it's like acid is being released in your brain, eating away at your brain if you're a negative person. Over and over again in this wonderful song about romance, it says, don't awaken it until it's time. Don't awaken it till it's time. Are you ready? Have you swiped right on yourself? Are you a servant? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to grow? Are you a positive person? Is that in your heart? Are you in process? Until you've swiped right on yourself, you should not awaken love. There's a lot of people who would make great Husbands are great wives, a great marriage partner. There's a lot of people who would make that one day, but right now they're not. It's the right person, but it's not the right time. Are you willing, are you ready to go in process to become that? Let's read a couple verses here. Uh, verse number two, and then we'll read verse number nine. She speaks. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
for your love is more delightful than wine. Now he speaks. We skip ahead. I liken you, my darling, to a mare amongst Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now that doesn't sound so good, does it? Uh, but, 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 you know, in this day, horses were like, this is a prize thing. So he was saying like, you're one in a million. You're absolutely awesome. But what I want to draw your attention to is the word here that she uses for love. It's a Hebrew word that means physical love, sexual love. So she is after him physically. So he doesn't use the same word. He never uses the same word. He uses the Hebrew word for love, which means he's after her emotionally as a friend, as a companion. He's totally into her. But she says, the word for love, for your love is more delightful. She is after him to connect with him. And so they are kind of, you know, here's the thing. Men, men, Physical, sexual love is a, I don't know if you knew this, but it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. I happened, I hardly ever listen to the radio anymore because I'm always listening to books in the car. But I turned on the radio one day for some reason and a, a psychologist was on there and he was talking about marriage and it was a call-in show and somebody called in and they said, my husband, he's after me all the time. He's grabbing me and he's pulling me. Why can't he just love me? Why can't he just hold me? Why can't he just hug me? Why is he always grabbing or pulling? He says, I understand and, and that's bad, but can I just give you a little different perspective? I just want to give you a little different perspective. I ran by this by my wife before I said this. Okay. <clears throat> she said, I want you to imagine this. Your husband is hungry, right? He's hungry. Any men in this room over West Falls Church hungry or Grace Lot? Any hungry? Any men ever get hungry? <laughs> this is your opportunity to say yes. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> he says, he says, he's hungry. And he's walking by that refrigerator all day and he wants to reach in. He wants to grab some food. And you've told him there's only one refrigerator that you can eat out of. And this man's walking around. He's starving all the time and you've got it locked up. Does that give you a better perspective? I mean, this man is starving. Let the, let the man eat. I said, I said, Krista, is that okay? And Krista and I had, you know, some conversations about that. Yeah, she said it's okay. So it's, 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 it's okay to say. But now it's become a joke around the house. I'm like, hey, is the refrigerator open? You know, it's not. Sometimes she says, no, it's not open. It's locked. It's got a big chain around it. It's got a pad on it. And I've unplugged it from the wall. You know, okay, this is all I'm trying to say. She, throughout this incredible song, is constantly after him physically. And he's like, yes. I mean, he's so excited. Now look how, now, now look how this goes. Look how she serves. She serves and he serves. Now, how does he serve? He says oh, nine times in this song, he's like, I love you. And the word for you is never sexual love. It's only as a companion, as a friend. He's like, I want to emotionally connect with you. Remember that movie, He's Just Not That Into You? Remember that movie? He's totally into her, like big time. He wants to connect with her. And he is a man of action, and she loves that. He is constantly pursuing her, pursuing her as a friend, as a companion to listen, to learn to know what to say to her. I mean, this is who he is, and she is loving that, totally loving that. You see him in here as a, as a man of action. You'll, as you read through this, you'll see like, he's on his horse, and she says, here he comes, and there's like clouds of smoke. It's like the Lone Ranger or something. It's like clouds of smoke, and here he comes galloping towards her, and she's like, look it, here comes my prince. He's coming after me because he loves me. He's always. 
She likes the clarity. She likes the fact that he is totally into her and is seeking her. Do you know what word women hate? You want to take a guess on Grace Live? You want to chat it up or shout it out? What word do you think that women hate? Anybody? Just yell it out. What? what what's that? Like. 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 Nobody else? That's it? One word, women? That's all I want to say? I'll give it to you then. Okay? Hang out. Hate the word hang out. Hey, you want to hang out? How about we hang out sometime? Women, according to studies, hate the word hang out because there's no clarity to it. You know what word that women like? Date. Now, we live in the 21st century, everybody. There's nothing wrong with a woman asking a man out on a date. Do you know what percentage of dates happen every year in the United States of America because the woman has initiated the date because she asked for the date? What do you think? Give me a number. Chat it up. 75% of the women of the dates happening. Wow, it is 12%. Because what she likes in this song is that he's clear. There's total clarity. He is, I'm after you. It's, I want to go out on a date with you. And women like that clarity. The notebook. I've brought up the notebook so many times. So I actually, because it's been a long time since I've actually seen it. I know the storyline. So I went back and reviewed the beginning of it. How did this whole love story start? He saw her at a carnival. And she was with some other people, some guys and girls. He asked her out. She said no. She got on a Ferris wheel with another guy. So what did he do? He ran and jumped on the Ferris wheel in between. The, is, is anybody like unclear about what he wants? Is, he wants a date with her. He's like, will you go out with me? She said, no. So he jumps off the Ferris wheel at the top, hangs on the bar and says, unless you say yes to going out on a date with me, I am going to let go. Okay. So totally clear. Clarity. Men. Men. Clarity. Let's say, let's say that word together just so we're clear on it, right? Right? Men, one, two, three. Clarity. That's what's asked. And she loves it. They're loving each other. They're serving each other. Are you, are you prepared? Are you prepared to swipe right on yourself? Are you prepared to be a servant lover? Are you ready? We're not looking at other people. We're looking at ourselves. Are we ready for love? Or have we awakened love too early? Uh, look at this. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11. We love in our words. We love in our actions. Your lips drop sweetness. Ooh, whoa. As the honeycomb, my bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. I really love that clip I sent out from the Green Book. Anybody seen that movie, The Green Book? Huh? See that clip I sent out where he's helping him write that love letter to her? He starts, I mean, the letter was terrible, and so then he helped him write the letter the right way, right? Falling in love with you is the easiest thing I've ever done. And then it shows her in the scene, and she's reading, and she's crying, and she's smiling. That's a servant lover. And you might say, well, that's not me. I don't, I don't have words. I don't, I don't have somebody who's going to coach me up. Well, go on the Internet. There's a thing called the Internet. You can Google it. Right? You can, you can Google great poems, love poems, and just tell her. Don't try to plagiarize, but just say, I love you so much. I'm researching how to love you better. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the best words I possibly can. Use your words, use your actions, communicate love, communicate value and respect. I want to tell you an old story uh, from the South Pacific, if I can. It's happened in the South Pacific where uh, in, in these islands, you would go to a father of a daughter who you, you wanted to marry, and you would actually purchase the opportunity from the father to marry the daughter by giving a cow. So an average bride on these islands would be about two cows. 
And if it was somebody exceptional, it'd be a four cow, two, three, four cows. That'd be it. So it was a guy and his name was Johnny Lingo and he was a very shrewd businessman. And so it came time for him to marry and everybody's like waiting to see what he was going to do, right? How was he going to, so he had his eyes on a young woman. Her name was Sarita and, and she was just very plain. And so the talk around all the islands were was obviously, you know, he's probably going to talk the dad down because he's so good in business. He's probably going to talk the dad down to one cow. So everybody's waiting to see what happened. And so he went to the father and straight up front, he said, I'll give you eight cows for Sarita. People are like, oh my gosh, he's lost his mind. He's so stupid. Well, this became famous. They got married and they moved to another island, became famous. And a lady heard about this and she said, what? That doesn't make sense. She said, I want to go visit. She went to the house, opened the restaurant. Sarita opened the restaurant. This is the most beautiful, confident woman opened the restaurant. Well, the kid could not be, this could not be Sarita. Who are you? And it was Sarita. And so she went and she talked privately to the husband, Johnny. She said, Johnny, tell me, what were you thinking? He said, you know what happens on this island? All the wives get together and they talk about how many cows were paid for them. How do you think that makes them feel? He said, I want my wife knowing that she is worth more, valued more than any other wife on this entire island because it's more important how she thinks about herself than how I think about her. We communicate value through our words and our actions. Let's go to point number two. Become a baggage handler. Okay, here we go. I got some old nasty uh, luggage here, all right? Oh, it's all broken, falling apart, got little bows on it and everything. We have to handle our baggage. This is what she says. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyards I had to neglect. She's got baggage. We all have baggage. He had baggage. She had baggage. We have to deal with our baggage. Baggage handling is all part of the process of swiping right on ourselves. Have you dealt with their baggage? She had insecurities. Here's the deal. Uh, probably her father's passed away. The brothers have mistreated her. She's in a palace surrounded by other people in the palace, royalty, who haven't worked outside a day in their life. Anytime they go outside, somebody's carrying an umbrella for them. She has had to work out in the fields, mistreated. She's, she's got the heat of her brother's anger bearing down on her. She's got the sun bearing down on her. And now she's in the palace and she's got the glares of the other women from the palace bearing down on her. So she's got, she's got baggage, but you know what? It's obvious as you read through these eight chapters that she has dealt with her baggage because she has a confidence, not an arrogance, but a confidence. Are you willing to deal with your baggage? Because what is really attractive to both men and women is if you have dealt with your baggage and your insecurities and your problems in your past, and you have developed a healthy confidence where you can stand tall and you cannot be jealous and you cannot be moved and so deeply insecure, that's very, that's why I gave you that other clip from Hitch. It's a very good movie too, Hitch. Right? That scene where he's talking to the guy, I can't remember, I think the guy's name was Albert or something like that, and he had a crush on this uh, young woman who was like a billionaire, but so afraid to say anything, and he had no confidence whatsoever. And in that scene, what does he do? You know, she comes to talk to him, and he's like staring at his feet the whole time, and Will Smith is behind the door, says, get your head up, look her in the eye, be confident. And he coaches him constantly on being confident, because he has a deal with his baggage. Now, King Saul, everybody, this is a story, first king of all of Israel, first king of Israel. 
Israel. His name is King Saul. We call him Tall Saul. He's very tall. The Bible says he's tall, and the Bible comments on like nobody's looks in the Bible. We have no idea what Jesus looked like, but it says that Saul, and this is very unusual, Saul is very handsome. So we know this guy is like incredible. So he's on like the cover of GQ. He's really handsome. He's really tall. He's got a great job. He's the king, and he's extremely rich. What could be wrong? What could be wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong. He has deep insecurities. He has tremendous anger issues. He never takes responsibility for his own stuff. He has never dealt with his baggage. And what is really interesting, everybody, is when they came to make him king, it says he was hiding amongst the baggage. Have you dealt with your baggage? We all must deal with with our baggage. We have to get, you know, uh, the secular writers put it this way. There is, you got to get life. You got to figure out your interests and your passions and your loves. Are you serving? Are you growing? Are you in process? I was so excited to see yesterday. We had the, we had the men's summit, right? We thought it'd be incredible if we had 40 guys show up for the men's summit. We had almost double that amount. We had about 80 guys show up all about growing stronger. We began the day with a president Kennedy quote, don't pray for easy lives, pray to be stronger men. 80 guys who are in process, who are growing. It's exceptional. Um, well, we're almost out of time. Let me, let, me skip, let me skip to the bottom, all right? Get drunk on love. Let's end with this. Let's end with getting drunk on love. Here we go. She speaks first. Uh, and then I'm going to tell you about somebody who speaks in a moment at the very middle, at the very middle of this entire song. But first she speaks and she says this. Awake north wind. So they're obviously consummating their marriage if you're wondering what the heck's going on here. Awake north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance might spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruit. He speaks. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. There's racier parts in this song just so you know. Now a mystery voice speaks at the exact center of the entire love song. A mystery voice. We don't know who it is. Many people speculate it's God who steps in in the middle of this and gives his opinion on what's going on. Here's God's opinion. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. He's talking about being drunk on love. God has invented romance. He's invented physical love. And there is a clear purpose. And in my closing comments, I would like to talk about the clear purpose because we get very nervous when churches talk about sex, okay? So I want to talk simply this. What is the purpose of sex? God created it. He created it. What is God's purpose? Far too often, we, we, we as a church, we can ignore it or we can be very judgmental about it, but what is the clear purpose of sex? And there's a lot of stuff, you know, in society. Let me get rid of this. We're, you're all done with your baggage, right? Excellent. Um, anybody eat cornflakes? Cornflakes? Anybody like cornflakes? Graham crackers? Granola? You know why that stuff was invented? Check it out on the internet. It was invented to uh, curb the sexual libido of young men. Uh, because Dr. Kellogg invented cornflakes, and he felt that sex was a bad thing. Uh, so when he got married, uh, he had separate bedrooms from his wife, and, a court, and apparently they never consummated uh, their marriage. So that was a bad thing. And so he invented something called cornflakes. So if you're eating cornflakes, you might just want to keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, 
So we can be kind of like, what is it? You know, should we talk about it? Is it, is it, is it proper? But God has invented sex. In God's opinion, sex is not a bad thing and sex is not a good thing. Sex actually, in God's opinion, is a great thing. And that's why he says, that's why he speaks here and says, drink your fill. It is a great, great thing. And in God's opinion, as a husband and wife in marriage, you should have as much sex as you physically possibly can handle. This is what he means when he says, you should be drunk on love. Now, far too often in church, we ignore this or we can be judgmental about it. As I said just a few moments ago, I, I had a couple come into my office. They want to talk about their relationship. They weren't married. I did not know them that well at all. This happened a while ago, and they sat down, and after the brief introductions, I just let uh, them talk, and mainly he talked, and he's like, we're living together, and we're living in sin. Like, okay. He says, we're living in sin, and we want you, first of all, just to say it. Tell us we're living in sin. I'm like, well, shoot, you're taking all the fun out of it. Can't, can't even make you feel guilty as a pastor. Anyway, uh, so we can have all, all these kind of different uh, thoughts about it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, the purpose of it and the reason why the Bible stresses it in marriage, okay? Just listen. Let's be open. Because in the Bible, sex unites two people. It unites them. Like the word is glue. You glue two people together. And what we do know, as I said in the beginning, right, the, strong, the stronger the sexual relationship in the marriage, the stronger the marriage is. And this is why God says what he does. Two people get glued together. And what happens if we go around, don't feel, okay, don't, don't, there's, there's no judgment here. I just want to give you an idea of what God and his purpose is. If we go around gluing ourselves to lots of people, we have given away parts of ourselves. We pick up parts of them. And I've never had, I've, I've done so much marriage, premarital counseling. I've never had couples say, oh, I am so glad that you had sex with a bunch of other people before we got married. No one ever says that. Oh, I got to practice, so I got to figure it out. Nobody ever says that. You hear that on the movies, it's ridiculous. That's a joke. And actually, it can undermine. Remember, Solomon, his very name, I said this last week, his name represents every man. Her name is Shulamite, represents every woman. It's from the root word shalom, which means to be satisfied or fulfilled. How can every man and woman achieve a place of fulfillment and satisfaction, particularly in this area of romantic, physical, sexual love, right? How does this happen? How does this relationship work and work really well? We did the series in the fall, This Is Us. I thought one of the most uh, important scenes of that whole thing, the, the, his friend, Jack's best friend, was getting divorced. And so Rebecca gets together with his wife, and the wife says the beginning of the end is when we stopped having sex. Because sex unites, it brings two people together, it glues you together, and this is why God encourages as much as physically is possible. If we begin to go and have sex with a bunch of other people, what the studies are showing us is it actually leads to dissatisfaction. And I know everybody says everybody's doing it, and I know that's what we see on social media or that's what we see on movies and stuff, but the reality is, everybody, is when you talk to people, people are greatly dissatisfied who follow that reasoning and that thought. God only wants what is best for us. God's not interested in coming down on us and saying, you know what, it's important that you say, I'm a sinner and I'm having a bunch of sex. God's not interested in that. When my kids mess up, I don't need them to say, hey, dad, I'm a sinner. That's not what I'm interested in. I want them to say, hey, dad, I realized, I've realized what is best for me. 
Ah, I'm like, okay, now we got it. God, God's only thought here is what is best for, for you to become the best version of you possible that you can possibly be. And if you've given yourself away in bits and pieces and you're with somebody else who's given them, it's, very, it's more difficult for that glue. You glue something and you rip it apart, it's going to lose its power. And that's all God is saying. God is 100% for sex. Have as much sex as you possibly physically can handle. But the purpose of it is to glue two people together. And I want to close with a story about Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain was one of the most phenomenal athletes to ever walk this planet. I mean, that guy was a seven foot one, I think 275 pounds. He's extremely strong. At one point, he was going to fight Muhammad Ali. He got really close to signing a contract to find his dad talked him out of it. But uh, an incredible athlete. And numbers. The guy scored 100 points in a game, everybody. He's the, he, he scored more points than anybody ever else has in professional basketball. 100 points in a game. He was a final athlete. But what number do we remember? Of all the incredible stats that he put out there, what's the number we remember most about Will Chamberlain? I didn't hear it. Please tell me. 20,000. In his book, A View from Above, he said that he had slept with 20,000 women. 20,000 women. And every guy in America said, What? And we started doing the numbers like, whoa. Okay, that's just, that's just the reality. What we don't know is that later on, he talked in more detail about that and what he meant. He was trying to describe the times that he was living in and how casual sex was at the time. And he said in an interview, and ESPN covers this, right? You can Google this on ESPN. He said in an interview shortly before he died, he said, I have had sex with thousands of women. Right, And I would have traded all that to have sex with one woman thousands of times because, ready? Ready for this? Because it would have been much more satisfying. That's all God's saying. We're talking about satisfaction. We're talking about fulfillment. That's it for today. Let me tell you what we're going to do next week. All right, Next week, we're talking about fighting. I know it's Mother's Day, but... Uh, <laughs> It's going to be a good Mother's Day because I want to talk about what all great relationships absolutely must have. And I want to talk about the top three things that couples fight about. Now, I want to say one last thing. I pray this all the time. I'm going to ask you on Grace Live at West Falls Church here in this room to pray with me. I pray this all the time, all year long, not just when we're in a relationship series. I pray this all the time. In the Bible, God is the divine matchmaker. You read it in Genesis, that's what God looks like. He's the divine matchmaker. And God wants strong marriages. That's why we have the Song of Songs. Would you please, would you please, if you are single, would you pray for strong marriages? Would you pray that every marriage a part of Grace Community Church would be strong? And if you're married, would you pray that God would make divine matches? I was thrilled. I was at a marriage conference recently, and we had a bunch of married couples there. Where'd you meet church? Where'd you meet church? Where'd you meet church? Grace Community Church. I'm like, Yes, that's an answer to prayer. I'm asking, would you please pray with me? Would you be a servant? Would you develop your servanthood and pray for divine matches, strong marriages? Please pray with me now. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for this incredible song. Lord, make divine matches according to your will and, and produce strong, strong marriages in your name. Amen.